Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, Mr. Doug Christie. Doug, we're having the Doug and James driving car, <laughs> <laughs> driving in the car podcast. What's going on, man? This is the first time, man, I, uh, but I'm, I'm digging it. This, this not only will be interesting, but it'll be entertaining as we uh, go on back to Sacramento. Yeah, as we navigate our drive home, uh, the Sacramento Kings have knocked off the Cleveland Cavaliers in overtime. An incredibly surprising game. The Kings are playing better of late, but I don't think anyone saw this coming. Cavs are struggling. Kings aren't. Uh, somehow they come away with an incredible win. Doug, what's your first impression? You know, more than anything, I, I would look at it and I would say a complete team effort. You, you get young Malachi, you get Willie Cauley-Stein off the bench, Ty Lawson comes in, they're down 10 points, they change things. But then when, I, when you think about that, you and I have talked and we talked on air many times about how do the Kings or when will they learn how to play through DeMarcus Cousins, meaning that – when everyone can eat off of his plate because he brings so much to the game. And what we're seeing now, and I talked to Coach Yeager on the radio with Grant, is they're putting him in the post. They're putting him at the elbow. They're putting him in positions that are going to allow him to be very aggressive and allow him to find others, and that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, they're putting him in a position to succeed, and he's finding a way to make his teammates better, which is something that DeMarcus has struggled with throughout his career. Not that he makes his teammates worse, but he's never been that guy who can figure out how to make everyone around him better. I think, for me, the shining moment of this game came in overtime, and it's a it's a huge moment in the development of DeMarcus Cousins because he had been rolling. He scored 17 points in the, in the fourth quarter and overtime combined, but when the game was on the line... He hit Aaron Aflalo on the on the elbow for a wide open three, and Aflalo knocked it down, gave the Kings a three point lead. Uh, they got a defensive stop, and, and Cousins went to the line and iced it with one or two at the line. But that moment when a player realizes that if he's going to beat a great team, and the Cavs, let's be honest, they're a great team. They oh, just yes. won championship, yep. and they added Kyle Korver, and he was hot. A lot of players on that team were hot. But you found a way to win, and the way you win is by sharing the ball and being a good teammate and letting someone else share in the glory. Yeah, no doubt. And I've never really thought that that is a, a problem with DeMarcus. He is a willing passer. Guys, you also have to learn how do you do it, what angles do you get at, where is the double teams coming from, and to watch DeMarcus – get the ball, accept a double team, look over because he is 6'10", 6'11", sees uh, Kyle Korver in the middle of the lane, Aaron Aflalo wide open, and the willingness, like you said, was scoring 17 points uh, in, in such a short span, knowing that he's got it rolling, and to give that up and put it in his teammates' hands shows trust, it shows leadership, and that is a recipe for the Kings to not only be in ball games, but ultimately to start to win some. Yeah, here we are. We're on the Bay Bridge at this point. Uh, right. <laughs> this is the the Doug and James on the Road podcast. Uh, and you know what? I, I think he, he's a willing passer, and I think he's an exceptional passer mm -hmm. who's just now figuring out that he can put up a triple-double almost every night yeah. like Russell Westbrook. But in crunch time, he has a propensity to become a bull rush specialist mm -hmm. and a guy who tries to do it all on his own put the team on his back and try to will them to wins, and it doesn't always work. That's where I saw growth in that the light switch going on and saying, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I, I've got to share the ball. If we're going to do this, my teammates got me to this point because, to be honest, he was horrible through the first three quarters of the game. He couldn't do anything right, 
And then all of a sudden it starts clicking. And so for him to accept that I can't do this on my own, I think it's huge. It's huge going forward for this team. And they still have time. I, they, they've got 18 wins. They're only a game and a half out of the eight seed. Uh, they've got four more games on this road trip, two sets of back-to-backs. But against, you know, three of the four are winnable games. I mean, these are actually games that they can go into into Indiana or into Charlotte or into Philadelphia, and they can come away with one, two, three wins. Houston games can be a little rough. But, Doug, something I brought up on the telecast just a few minutes ago, once they get done with this road trip, they will have played 28 games on the road and 21 at home. The schedule flips in the second half. And that's where they're going to have to learn how to be better at home because they haven't been good at home thus far. They, they have a worse record at home than they do on the road. And that is, I think, learning how to play together. This is where the road can be a blessing because you learn a lot about each other out there on the road. And interestingly enough, to, to your point earlier, when you think about DeMarcus, um, you think about the fact that when he's out, the Kings have an absolutely terrible record. And we've seen now certain times, whether it's foul trouble or different things, they've gone to the bench and the bench has brought them back in the game. And just that whole trust and all the different things that come along with the ability to to trust your teammates, for them to come through, and then to continue to play hard. A guy like Garrett Temple stealing the ball and, and tipping it back in bounds and Matt Barnes passing and, and Darren Collison finishing. These are all little winning plays. And then you got a guy like that can absolutely close it out. So this is going to be an imperative stretch for the Kings. First of all, to finish out the road trip as well as you can. And not, I guess, you maybe answer this question, Ham. Do you think they've been focusing on winning or focusing on playing uh, complete games? Because it looks like to me they've played three complete games and they lost one in, in Chicago, but they've won two. Because that recipe, if the Kings would have been doing this earlier, you could put some more wins on the left side of the ledger. Yeah, you know what? You make a good point there because I think this team is learning how to play together still, which I know people are going to get frustrated with that statement. But uh, but I think you're starting to see Jaeger figure out what he's got mm-hmm. and start to mix in the young guys and and really sort of empower some of the young guys. I, I thought it was interesting you talked about Jaeger put them in in the first half during a game and then he didn't play them in the second half. That is empowering when you get to that next step and all of a sudden he does show faith in you. He does let you come back in. I thought Malachi Richardson, uh, we've both of us, we've seen plenty of Malachi. We see him in, in pregame. I see him a lot at practice. Yep. He has just an incredibly beautiful jump shot. And I think he can be a really, really good three-point shooter at the NBA level. But he's also got this this moxie, this personality that he just keeps coming at you. And I think letting him grow into a role and, unfortunately, not letting Ben McLemore come in and have his great moments and then his really bad moments I think you're going to get a more even approach out of Malachi, even though he's a rookie, than you would out of Ben McLemore at this time, who who really, to me, he looks like the entire season, he's just trying too hard. And so, I, I don't know, what are your thoughts on where Malachi is in his development, what you've seen so far? Well, I really like what I see out of Malachi. I, I saw him compete with Papianis and Scal and uh, and Ben McLemore before games playing two-on-two, and sometimes they had some other players in there three-on-three. And just his the sheer confidence and aggressiveness, like he, he doesn't play like, you know, we're buddies, we're friends. He's, he's competing. He is going after it. Then first and foremost, I like the fact that he draws a line in the sand right there. Then just the confidence that he has when he's when he's out there, he looks like he belongs already. The pump fakes, the one dribble pull-ups, the uh, aggressive attacks to the basket, willingness to take contact, all of those things. I, I think that he has an incredible upside. Defensively, you and I had talked. I thought that he might be a, a little farther behind playing in, in Bayheim's system at 
at Syracuse. But, it, it, I mean, he is he always great on the defensive end? No, but he's physical, he goes after it, and he competes. And really, as a defender, that's what you want. So out of a young player, I, I think his upside is tremendous, and it looks like he's going to continue to work hard, and he's earning. That's the key. He's earning what he's gotten so far. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I'd also point out that I don't think that he's ever going to be an exceptional incredible man on defender but what he does have is high basketball IQ Mm -hmm. and it almost seems like he knows how to compete he knows where to be he understands the role and he's not on skates and that's something that a lot of young players they come in and they're just completely overmatched I mean he just went in to Cleveland against LeBron James who's got to be one of his heroes and he came he helped his team come away with a huge win just by by playing really solid ball and I mean five of six from the field, he didn't make any errors. He he just played really well all the way around. You know, Ham, when I when I look at him and I, I watch him play, one of the things and I mentioned this on air. One of the things I really like uh, about the backcourt of Portland is C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. Is they're just they're they're silent assassins. You know, from mm-hmm. time to time they'll make a shot and they'll get excited. That's not what I mean, but not after every single shot are they celebrating. It's like. I'm supposed to be doing this. This I expect success. I expect this to happen. And out of young Malachi, he's hitting shots. He's not celebrating. He hits it. He walks to the free throw line, knocks down his free throws, and goes on to the next play. And I think it's it's vitally important, and it's really it bodes really well for a young player to be that confident, to expect that success. And it's all based upon the work that he's put in. He's went down to the D League. He he achieved a level of success, in my opinion, down there that says, I, you know, I need to move up and. And he's done that, and he's come up, and, and he's just he's playing really well right now. Okay, so I'm also going to point out that there's another thing here that's, that's in play, and that is that Dave Yeager does not typically like playing young players. It's not something he's done throughout his career. Mm-hmm. To It's really difficult for a coach to sort of change his, his colors midstream. Right. And I think we're starting to see that, especially not just with Malachi, because Malachi played 14 minutes, and we act like Malachi won the game. But he played 14 minutes, and he played well. But Willie Cauley-Stein, he has struggled so badly early in this season. I mean, he's averaging 11 minutes a night. He'd already had, I think, seven DNP CDs. And then the last couple of games we've seen – Jaeger put faith in Willie, who, just so people know, is working overtime. He is working so incredibly hard behind the scenes. I see him every single practice working with Bob Thornton, one of the one of the big men coaches. He's working with Larry Lewis on his ball handling. He's he's playing three on three against anyone who will play against him, uh, and he's looked really good in doing that. And again, he's doing all this this ball handling work in pregame too that we're seeing with Ben McLemore, and uh, I think all of these things have made him more confident, but he's also, I mean, he played almost 27 minutes tonight. He played most of the fourth quarter and all of the overtime, and I thought he came up huge. He had 10 rebounds, 8 points. He had some defensive plays. He went at it. What is it you're seeing from Willie? And not only that, but in Dave Yeager and accepting this, that he needs to turn to the young guys because... The, the veterans that he's playing haven't really come to play on a nightly basis. Well, well, to Coach Yeager's credit, I think that he understands that he needs some athleticism. Willie is putting in the hard work. He's he, he's allowing him to earn his his spot by seeing him play uh, work hard, getting feedback probably from the coaches saying, you know, Willie's really putting in the work, and then seeing him in practice, and they've had a couple practices here or there, so he's watching him improve. But when you're a big guy nowadays, it's one of two things. It, the, the slow, old-school way, that's not really going to cut it. So you either are super skilled like a DeMarcus, like a Anthony Davis, like a cat in Minnesota, or you're super athletic and you play that way like a Rudy Gobert, that you're, you're touching the game on the defensive end, stepping out on the pick and rolls, controlling the lane, tipping it out on offensive rebounds. And I think that 
Willie was trying to find, and he still is, trying to find his way because he's, he's very skilled, meaning that his potential is through the roof. He can do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I've seen some really good footwork out of him tonight that I, I was like, wow. Oh, the spin move. The yeah. spin move was absolutely, he gave a fake one way and then brought it back. Those are things that's poise and, and, and timing and things like that. So he has a skill set and the ability for a little hook. He's shown a jump shot. So all those things. But it takes time to develop those. So instead of when you come out of the game and it, you feel, it feels like, you know, I'm not playing well, instead of letting that be a burden on him and him kind of going into a shell, he's coming in and he's letting energy and effort dictate. If the, if the game comes to him and he's scoring and all that, that's just icing on the cake. But 10 rebounds from him is absolutely huge. Defense and rebounding are going to get him minutes, and he will continue to improve offensively because he's putting in the hard work. Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, I thought what was really impressive is that he actually chose to shoot the ball multiple times. He got the ball, and he wasn't timid with it. He made nice moves. He didn't always hit the basket, and but it didn't deter him from from coming back the next time down and trying to make a play. But then the other thing that I saw, which I was really impressed with, the Kings are horrible in transition. We all know that. They, they've been one of the worst transition defending teams over the last couple of years. And what I saw tonight was LeBron James on a break with the pedal down. Right. And Willie stepped in and gave him a little shook, a little shake, and, and LeBron had to back off. Yep. He said, oh, that's a big kid. That's a big kid with a lot of range. And... I think you have to respect Willie as a, an incredibly versatile athlete, a guy who can make up ground quickly, a guy who can block shots all over the place. I mean, he had some huge, huge dunks, or one dunk attempt and one huge dunk. And we've seen that over the last couple of games too, where he's he's hammering the ball down. No more little flips above the rim. He's actually going at it. So I think we're seeing sort of the, the next step for Willie where he started to feel comfortable and now if he can really start to grow into his role, the Kings might be onto something. Oh, no, no doubt, because if you think <laughs> about the, the Western Conference, if you think about elite teams, what, what do they do? They do a lot of pick and rolls. They do things like that. And if you are going to play big, which could be a bonus for the Kings to play big, but you can still cover ground, and that's where I look at a, a Rudy Gobert where he's their five, but defensively he is not a liability. He can actually do something things but then you have a four man in DeMarcus Cousins who is an absolute dominant stud well that is a combination that can really work and Willie's effort on the defensive end all those things he just has to continue to come in with that type of a mindset and things good things will happen for him all right so uh, Garrett Temple is a guy that I know a lot of people have have actually talked about him being very similar to you in style right I for me, watching you play, watching him play, he's not nearly the passer you were, and he's not nearly the offensive threat that you were, mm-hmm. although he's he's growing into his role with the Kings. Right. But how impressed are you with how not only does he, he bring it every night, but then you hear Malachi Richardson in postgame talking about how the guy he's talking to is one of the coaches, which is great, but also... It's, it's Garrett Temple. He's the big brother that, that's sort of leading Malachi towards the promised land. Couldn't be a better guy. I, I love talking to Garrett. Uh, we have him on the radio now, but just sitting around and talking to him, had a chance to meet his father and absolutely loved his dad. He was awesome. Yeah, he but was fun, wasn't he, he? He was awesome. You know, looking at, at him as a player, I, I like players like that, obviously, because that's how I played, meaning that you try to do – every skill, all the jump stops, the pivots, the pass, the drive, the uh, defensive end, the rebound, shoot the three, shoot the free, do every single thing uh, and try to improve them. But to watch him dive on the floor, to watch him take really good assignments on the defensive end, and then the the locker room piece and just the person that he is just takes it over the top because now you have someone, a voice in there that can, and this is where I, I like what Vlade has done, is a guy like Garrett, a guy 
like Anthony Tolliver. Good locker room guys. You know they're going to be saying the right thing in the locker room to the young guys. And this is just an example of Garrett talking to a Malachi and Malachi listening to that. And that just helps because as a young player, you don't know, you know, why didn't coach play me in the second half, for instance. That might be something yeah. Malachi is, is saying to himself because the coach probably doesn't go up to him and say, this is why I did it. But maybe a Garrett Temple can say, hey, young fella, you got to wait your time. Don't worry about it. You played fantastic. That's the thing you should focus on is the fact that you played well. And ultimately, that's exactly what the coach was looking at. Jaeger was saying, you know what? He played so well in the first half. I wanted to keep that good feeling with him. So a, a guy like Garrett Temple, man, uh, just a, a blessing to have around. He will continue to evolve as a king because I think he has even more to give. And the fact that he plays multiple positions, the point guard, the two guard, and sometimes swing over to the three just allows Coach Yeager uh, a, a mix that is just awesome for the lineup. Yeah, I think the fact that they locked him up to a three-year, $24 million deal, I think it shocked a lot of people, but a lot of people were very happy for Garrett Temple because they know how hard he's worked. And I think he, he told me on last week's podcast that he's making eight times what he's ever made in his career this season. Um, wow. Yeah, and he's actually making twice as much combined that than he had made in his entire career this season. That's good for him, man. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It's really cool to see it. Kind of, you know, you put in the work and it, and it works out for you. And you you're helping a team, and you're not just helping a team win. You're helping the culture of a team. There you go. Which I think with the Kings was even more important than anything that he could provide. And I think you know Anthony Tolliver's doing that. I think Ty Lawson's doing that. Ty mm-hmm. Lawson's had a huge week where he's he's been. Wow. Absolutely spectacular almost every night. He wasn't as good tonight against uh, against Cleveland, but he was still a very, very good player. Uh, he just, every single night, it seems like he brings something. He's the reason why Malachi Richardson is getting wide open. He's the reason why uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is getting his offensive game going and feeling comfortable. And I, I think, you know, Vlade, everyone want to be very quick to, to judge the offseason that the Kings have had. But if you look at 40 games, I think it's rough. You look at where this team could be, and you look at where this team might project by the end of the season, and I think you've found a diamond in the rough or two in Lawson and in Garrett Temple, and I think everyone is really excited about what Malachi can bring. And then I don't think you really swung and missed with Anthony Tolliver. Maybe you made a mistake here and there, but overall I think that's why judging uh, so early in the season can really be a negative thing, especially we haven't even got through the trade deadline where Vlade will have an opportunity maybe to improve the roster again. Yeah, and when you speak of Ty Lawson, I mean, obviously a big gamble because of the things that uh, issues he's yeah. had off the court, yeah. but he has been absolutely superb, and as a player is really what you want to speak to. He comes in, he changes the pace and tempo of the game, his aggressiveness on the just grabbing the ball, because Kings are having a big problem with fast break points and getting into the open court, but what he's doing is he's saying, okay, I'm going to put the pedal to the metal, I'm going to penetrate, and I know some guys aren't going to be able to run with me but they are going to be that second wave so if it doesn't work for him he's finding trailers late that's your Willie Colley Stein for a dunk or a layup that's DeMarcus for the three-pointer that's Malachi Richardson when his man collapses he kicks out in a wide open shot this is an offense where you don't have to run an offense you allow someone's superpower which his is speed and the strength of being able to take a hit to to help the team and it's good to see for him because he's reading defining himself as a player all right so just so you know we are all the way to Pinole. we're still <laughs> cruising along highway 80 uh, i don't call it the 80 i don't get that but uh we're we're moving along here with the the doug and james on the road podcast Gotta like uh, it. yeah so so doug um the one thing the kings won two in a row right on the road and They probably should have won in Chicago. The NBA had a nice, we're sorry about that, moment with the Kings yet again this season. What is it that you've seen over the last three games that you think has made the difference? Because there is clearly a difference between the team that we saw 
go one and seven on an eight game homestand and the team that we've seen go two and two on this road trip you know normally really good teams play uh play better away from home i mean they go out and that's where they that's where they clean up that's where you win and you figure out how to you talk about 50 wins and 45 wins that's how you do it you go on the road and you're winning road games the kings for whatever reason and they 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 aren't playing and they haven't played well at home but when i watch them away from home whether it is a uh, us against the world mentality or whatever it is that they're just competing and it started in uh, with the Chicago game and they put together four good quarters and then they they've just they kept that going and I think they're starting to figure out how do we us our team not last year or maybe in the future this particular team right now, with the parts that we have, now that we don't have one of our main pieces in Rudy Gay with almost 20 points a game, how do we compete? And I've always said learning how to play through DeMarcus Cousins is is paramount and putting pieces around him. And if the Kings continue to compete the way that they're competing and that is, we've seen lulls, James, from time to time, whether yeah. it's a quarter, whether it's eight minutes, whether it's a half The sometime. first quarter of a game, yeah, yeah, the first 12 minutes. And we haven't seen that right now. Tonight, the third quarter, a, a little bit, they, but for the most part, they are putting together whole games. And if you can pit, continue to put together whole games and you have a stud like DeMarcus Cousins who can put up a triple-double and he may score 30, he may score 40, or he may score 20 and get 10 assists, it, it is just going to make it so much easier for the Kings. And I, I, you're seeing it more and more on a night-to-night basis. And I think if they continue to do that, they're going to win some ball games. All right, so let's look ahead. They do have a couple of games coming up. They've got the Indiana Pacers on Friday night. They've got the Charlotte Hornets on Saturday. Uh and then they, they get Sunday off, but they come right back. They've got the Philadelphia game, which is a bad one. Right. It's a 2.30 start in Philadelphia, or a 3 o'clock start. Really super early. Uh, that's Pacific Standard Time. And then uh, they finish up the trip with the Houston Rockets. But can they win three out of four here? Can they win two out of four? Can they possibly come back on this road trip above 500 on, on the trip? See, I, I, you're not going to get me caught up in this because every time that I fe- start <laughs> feeling like this, they then they go out back down. <laughs> and, they, and they drag me back down and they just it, all of a sudden they will lose a game that they are absolutely supposed to win. So I would say first things first, start with Indiana. You're up on, on Indiana by 22 at home and you end up losing that game. So you know that this is a game in Indiana that you can compete and you can win the ball game. Will you? That's left to be seen. Then uh, after Indiana, you go to Charlotte. Charlotte is one that's a little questionable because Charlotte's actually a, a, a pretty good team. They're so interesting, they, aren't they? They are. And I believe last year uh, the Kings lost both times to them, and Kimba Walker just kind of put the nail in the coffin. But the Kings could beat them. Yep. Then you go to uh, Philly. Philly, which is a team that the Kings have already beat, but they're playing incredibly well right now. So that's going to be a toss-up. And then obviously Houston is a juggernaut, a team that the Kings haven't beat in, in quite some time, and they are they are playing out of their mind. So you have a chance to win three out of four, but will the Kings do that? I, I would say first I'm going to pump my brakes. I just want to see how they handle what I call prosperity, going into Indiana after a fantastic win against the world championship Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, can you take that prosperity, put it behind you, and come out and compete the same way? Yeah, I think that that's a, it's a good point. And the Kings need to live one day at a time. That's certainly the way that this season's kind of played out. They get ahead of themselves, they struggle, they fall apart, and the next thing you know, it snowballs. Uh, last season... They lost in double overtime to Kimba Walker and Jeremy Lin playing for the Hornets and at home. And that is what destroyed their season. At that point, right, right. They, were, they were in the eighth seed in January. And from that point on where they lose five in a row, after that they had to play in Portland the next night. Right. They let things snowball. This feels like a team that they can lose a bunch of games because they aren't good enough. 
but I don't feel like they snowball because they are in every single game. I mean, it's surprising how this team manages to, to compete on a nightly basis. And I think Dave Yeager is doing a good job of keeping the team together. And, and DeMarcus, again, talking about it, this team hasn't turned on each other in the locker room. And they're really starting to focus. And maybe things can turn here. Yeah, all those all those things are, are totally valid. And the one thing that this is why when I look at DeMarcus Cousins, I go, you guys, hold on. you got to figure out a way to, to make it work because we're talking about an absolutely dominant player. And let's not, let's not miss the point here. You're in games because of the, the gravity the gravity of which he draws players to him in different things. When he plays fantastic, well, then it's one way. When he plays a game like tonight where he's getting people involved and all those different things, the Kings can take it to another level. And that talent paired with all of a sudden the, the stability and the organization and, and Vlade and Vivek and Coach Yeager now and his staff, it, it's, a, it's a real nice mix. And now you're starting to put players around because, like we said, Garrett Temple, Ty Lawson, Tolliver, uh, Collison delivering tonight, Malachi Richardson, and then you look at a Willie Colley-Stein who's that second big that can come in and help. And you got a nice mix, Ham, that you're going to be in ball games. Now you have to figure out how to start closing them out. There we go. you got to figure out how to start closing them out. Well, the Sacramento Kings closed out the Cleveland Cavaliers. Shocking, shocking fashion on Wednesday night. Uh, it took overtime, but they pulled together, and everyone contributed. Uh, they only turned the ball over 10 times, which I think was huge. Uh, the Cavs did miss 17 free throws, which is absolutely ridiculous, and especially in a, in a tight game. The, Clavs, uh, the Cavs are unwinding a bit. They are kind of falling apart, which is interesting to see a, champ a championship-caliber team with one of the greatest players in the game uh, sort of stumble and, and fall in, in their post-championship season. But how big is this win? How big is this win for Sacramento? How do they play off of this? How do they move forward? How, how do you celebrate when you're a team that hasn't won and hasn't had success? How do you celebrate this, Doug? By never getting too high, never getting too low. That's what you have to learn how to do. Because we watched King James in the postgame tonight, and was there panic, they were asking him, and a lot of different questions. And he said, no, this is just one game. Are we playing well? No, we're not. But the Kings have to learn how to start handling prosperity. One thing that you can look at in this is, okay, we competed with them except for the first quarter the first time in Sacramento, 32-15, to 15, the Kings were behind, but the rest of the game was pretty close. The same thing happened with the Golden State Warriors. I'm taking these two teams because they are the elite of the elite. The Kings were up, I think, as many as 16. But then there's those times where they can't figure out how to stay in there. And, and more and more, Ham, we're seeing them to continue to fight, to continue to go. And if they can do that sort of thing with a star, excuse me, an all-star like DeMarcus Cousins, he's going to begin to get calls. He can get you in the penalty. There's ways that you can manufacture points now when he goes out and you don't have a Rudy Gay. Ty Lawson is stepping in. All these things bolt well, and it all can start and build off of a, a definitely a huge win when you're on the world champion uh, court and you come away with a W. All right, Doug. Well, we're not going to talk the whole way home because uh, that would be crazy and it would run a lot of a lot of tape. And, uh, man, you got to stop because i got to go to the bathroom. There we go. <laughs> Doug's <laughs> the road trip home. So just so people know, Doug and I, we commute down on uh, most games where I'm in studio uh, so we'll try to do more of these. I also commute down with Jerry, and I'll try to get Jerry on one of these. Um, everyone's game, it's just a matter of pulling out the equipment and doing it and then driving uh, safely down the freeway. Um, <laughs> we, have, uh, we have almost made it to Cordelia. Uh, we just passed a sign that said Fairfield, I think, nine miles away. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll try to bring you more of these uh, as, as we go along throughout the season. 
And uh, I don't know, Doug, big win, right? Yeah, I, I can say more than anything, happy to see that. I know those plane rides are absolutely fantastic. The food tastes better and everything. The Kings win uh, against the Cavs at Quicken Loans Arena. Uh, excited to see what they do with this and how they hopefully build going to Indiana. Go Kings. All right, thanks for joining me, Doug. You got it, man. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, in the second portion, the talkback portion of the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what is going on? You know, not a lot, as usual. It was a very boring day in Kingsland. <laughs> nothing <laughs> to see here. 24 <laughs> hours of nothing. I just got off the phone with ESPN Vegas, and they're asking, like, about LeBron and stuff. And, you know, it's just funny. Like, it seems like the Kings are always at the intersection of whatever everybody's talking about in the NBA, and that makes it fun. It does make it fun. So I guess we can start there. Um, the Kings shocked the world. Uh, we talked about this extensively on the – James and Doug, uh, car cast, I'll, I'll call, I'll call it. Uh, we, we talked on the way back from the game last night from SF. And, uh, I think everyone is, is in shock that this team can go one in seven on a, on a homestand. And then all of a sudden the light switch comes on in the Chicago game and they should have won Chicago. They beat Detroit and then they walk into Cleveland and I, I thought, you know, you can point out to the 17 missed free throws by the Cavs, but the Kings just kept coming. They just, they looked like they were ready to go. And I, I was surprised. A lot's gone on since we've talked last. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say about that Cavs game, there's something else going on there. Like there's a big fight between LeBron James and ownership over salary cap dollars. And if this was a playoff game, the Kings lose by 20 because LeBron James actually plays in the first half. He, well, he, he, he didn't play in the fourth quarter either or the overtime session. He just like, yeah, he, played dormant. Yeah, what he's doing is he's doing that whole let everybody else play thing. And and that's his way of saying, look, we need help. And that's that. And he's upset. And, and, and that's its own little side deal. They're still a great team. They're still an upper echelon team when LeBron James plays like that. So, you know, not to take anything away from the Kings win. But, you know, I just. I said it in the last podcast. I'm sure I've said it on Twitter. It's like I didn't think the Rudy Gay injury really moved the the needle basketball wise that much. He had been struggling before he got hurt. Um, He was really just kind of out of place after a really strong start to start the season. So um, I just didn't think it was this panic, blow it up, bring in Sam Hinkie, you know, moment that everybody else kind of thought it was. And and what it's done is it's forced uh, Dave Yeager to play some players he wouldn't have played otherwise. And you're seeing Malachi Richardson step up and you're seeing more of the players that, you know, we've been kind of clamoring for here. And, and I think that this team is still as talented as a 44 win team. I, I just it was so many close games that they had kind of gift wrapped for various reasons to the other team. It didn't, it's not hard to squint and see like, well, what if they had just been a little bit more coherent here? And now you're seeing that. So I think it's a great sign for the Kings that they're playing the way that they are. All right. So it's a great sign. And you just happened to just throw in the Rudy Gay thing. We haven't talked since the Rudy Gay injury and oh, uh, we haven't. Wow. No, no. People were asking for an emergency podcast because I think the podcast came out, what, on Tuesday? Oh, that's week. right. No, I remember now. And, and then, or Wednesday, and then Rudy Gay blew his Achilles that night. Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting thing because I, I think the Kings were in a pickle with Rudy Gay because, number one, I don't think they were playing that well with him. I, I actually know they weren't playing that well with him. And it, it, I don't blame him. I just think that the mix is wrong, and we've talked about this in the past. Okay, but number two, they were kind of like uh, it, it's uh, what's it called? The devil's pitchfork in in chess. They're at a point where someone had a, a rook and, and they had either, I mean, a, a knight, and they had either your your queen done or your uh, or your rook, and you have to choose. And you know, most people just choose to move their queen, and, and that's the way they get out of that. Um, but, uh, the Kings were in a bad spot because if they trade Rudy Gay, they basically are announcing to their fan base during their season ticket push that they're done with any chase for the playoffs. 
if they don't trade Rudy Gay and he leaves for nothing, whether they make the playoffs or not, then you lost again. I actually, in some weird, twisted way, by taking the Rudy Gay situation away and just basically shelving him for the next, you know, six to eight months, you kind of relieve this pressure. And, And I know that there was an opportunity for them to get something for Rudy Gay via trade, but would you have damaged yourself with your fan base enough in that trade to like cause issues? And, and you know, we're going to get to the Kevin Arnovitz piece here in just a little while. But even Kevin brought it up that that Vivek Ranadive like knew in his heart of hearts that Rudy Gay would never want to leave. Look, Rudy Gay wanted to leave. He he was going to leave. It doesn't matter what Vivek Ranadive thought or what people have said that Vivek thought. There was no way Rudy Gay was sticking around Sacramento. I, I guarantee people that there was no way he was sticking around. And I still think he will opt out of the contract and leave. So uh, this is, but it's a weird situation, Aaron, where did an injury actually short-term, long-term, all around help them? And, and I don't, you know, is that possible? It is. And I think, though, we have to back up and look at, like, what is Rudy Gay bringing to this team? And the one thing that he brought early on was effective offense. And his defense was okay. And, um, you know, but you're not counting on him for a major defensive, um, you know, to be a defensive force. So, no, but he can rebound. He can get some steals. He can, I mean, he's not an incompetent basketball player. I I mean, he's still a, a top, like, I don't know, 65, 70 player in the NBA. He, he's... That, that, that's all good and fine, I guess. But his real value to this team is offense. Yes. And his offense wasn't there when he got back from injury. And he was, you know, with the kamikaze drives to the hoop, not seeing the floor very well, not producing or uh, to walk that back a little bit, not producing in the right ways for the team. I just think that basketball wise, it's not it wasn't the end of the world and and trading him wouldn't have been the end of the world i think that when you look across the league and ask okay who are some above average scores that are average at defense or even a little bit under average you can come up with a big list of of players that teams would be willing to get rid of even in the cases of getting rid of the contract and so i just i don't think this moves the needle and if it's not a referendum on rudy gay in in his stage of his career for what he does, he's in the right spot. But for this particular team, you know, when the scoring starts to dry up, then I don't think it moves the needle very much. And what you're seeing now is a normalization or an optimization, as I like to call it, of the Kings, because you've had to bring in now Malachi Richardson. And the team is is rallying around that. They're playing well. And, and I think they just get a little bit more balanced as a result of this move. Yeah, and Willie Cauley-Stein. I think we're, uh, we haven't brought up Willie Cauley-Stein yet. Just to finish up on Rudy Gay, I, I just made the statement that I do think he will opt out. And this is why. Um, basically, he tore his Achilles in early January. Uh, and his good friend Wes Matthews tore his Achilles March 5th. Wes Matthews was almost all the way healed up by July 1st and was able to get a four-year, $70 million deal from the Dallas Mavericks. Of course, we know the Sacramento Kings outbid that offer for a guy who had blown his Achilles. And then on top of that, Wes Matthews went on to play 78 games that that next season. He wasn't great. He wasn't the Wes Matthews of old. He needed, he needed He's back to sort of where he was now. He's getting closer. Um, but I think Rudy Gay is within the same age range as Matthews was when that injury happened. And I think he looks at this and says, look, I got an extra two months to heal up. And the way that uh, that Achilles surgery has changed, has morphed, is spectacular for guys. Because you remember, Kobe did the same thing. Kobe popped his Achilles, and they went in and they did a, uh, like, they're able to do it with, like, a little, cutting a little hole, not slicing down the whole back of your calf. And from what I know... Just that portion of healing up the uh, the major cut in the back of the the Achilles, it, it takes so long just for that wound to heal. And then on top of that, you have the giant recovery period. If you can wipe out that part of it, the giant scar, um, it actually moves much quicker. And that's what they've been able to do. And so I think Rudy Gay, I, I mean, I don't know that he's going to get much more than 
you know, I don't know, uh, a three year, $10 million deal a year, like 30 million or, or somewhere, maybe, maybe two years at, at 24 million or something. But I still think he opts out and, and goes and finds somewhere that he wants to play versus somewhere where he can collect a $14.4 million paycheck. Well, and on top of that, the the issue there is, does he want to let the Kings impact his following year's free agency value? Um, if if the Kings are not wanting to tug or to, to hitch their wagon to Rudy Gay, then he could get played less minutes. He could see his role in the offense diminished. He could not be good in his first year back and and then further decrease his value. Yep. And, and at his age, you know, I think there's teams that are willing to say, OK, we'll take a chance right now. And then he can get a double digit two to three year deal and, and be in a place that he wants to be, like you said. So I think that there's a couple, you know, there's some risk there if you're Rudy Gay, if you wait and, and play that out. So I, I agree. He, a lot of folks are like, well, he's going to hit our cap next year. And we should have traded him while we could. You, you couldn't have really gotten anything for Rudy Gay. I mean, yeah. late first round pick, a player of, you know, some equal value was not going to move the needle for this Kings team, <clears throat> which, again, is I like the way that they're balanced. They could probably add another score. But, hey, look at Malachi Richardson, man. I, I got to admit, I was really, really not as high on him as, as probably I should have been. But I'm not a college expert. And he has come out there. I like his defense. That's the crazy part. Yeah. You know, the one thing that I notice, I watch him shoot all the time. He has such a beautiful three-point shot. I mean, it just comes off his hand perfectly. He's got a perfect arc. The thing that you rarely see from young players. And, you know, the funny thing is Malachi spent one year in college. He's already 21. The thing that I've noticed is that he he has the same exact shot on every single opportunity. He doesn't do a bunch of crazy, you know, that's the thing Mario Ellie used to complain about uh, Dante Green. He's like, hey, the dude's got seven different three-point shots. Like, how in the world can you be successful when you have to master seven different shots? He's like, that's just stupid. That's never going to work. And when you look at Malachi, every single time, even if he's he's off the dribble, he still pulls up and looks identical. And he's got a, a really clean-looking shot. And then he's very creative. And the thing that we've always said about him, he's got a moxie. And on top of that, he has a, uh, a, a really good understanding of the game and a confidence to his game. He's going to go out there and fire away. And I really think the Kings have been looking for a guy like that who's going to brush off some, some negativity from you know missing shots from DeMarcus or from anyone else. He's just going to you know kind of let it roll off his back and say, hey, man. Hit me again because I'm going to shoot it, and that's what they need. Well, and uh, while you talk offense, I'll talk some defense. Running through screens, he's not letting the screener win that battle. He is making the screener take a shot to the chest, and he's getting around screens, and he's playing with energy, and none of this stuff was on the scouting report, and a lot of it probably had to do with the fact that they play zone at Syracuse. But, you know, just a real big find. I think he deserves 25 minutes right now. I mean, to me, like you could talk about inexperience, but I don't see him making the mistakes that I see the vets making. So, I mean, I think that that's an instant improvement for the Kings, adding an offensive weapon they desperately need. And and really just like last night, or pardon me, was it last night or the night before? I don't even know anymore. Um, the Cavs game. They, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. They played with real good precision. They, they, they got the ball into the post. DeMarcus was able to read the, the defense and make plays based on that. And, and that is, is the direction that the Kings need to go. And it, it was clean. I thought the minute distributions are okay. They still got to get away from the Kufus lineup, but you know, maybe one day. And, uh, that's, um, you know, it, it, it all looks good for them. They just got to keep it up. All right. So, uh, we, we have a couple of things there. Number one, uh, Doug and I talked extensively, on, on the first half about something that I think was monumental in that game. And I, I kind of want to get your take. The fact that DeMarcus Cousins in overtime took the ball into the post, read the defense, saw Kyle Korver slip, flung it to Aaron Aflalo, who has missed a, a gigantic amount of wide open shots this season, 
but that DeMarcus showed the confidence in Aflalo to make that move and to fling it out, and they and they came away with a win because of it. For me, that may have been like the biggest aha moment of of the season where DeMarcus showed that he doesn't have to bull rush every single time and he's willing to make a pass and it and it came out the right way for him. How big of that of a moment do you see that, Aaron? It, it was massive, man. And I, and I'm not trying to overplay this, but a couple things here. You know, like a running back in football that gets 30 carries, they start to feel the defense and they know how to read and react to it. And and that's something you hear about in football all the time. But similarly, getting to see the same formation over and over and over again and feeling how the Cavs were going to be defending that, that directly leads to being better at reading the defense. And so when he saw Kyle Korver basically get caught in no man's land, it was just a natural reaction. And so that, along with the made bucket, obviously huge. And just the way that the Kings, like, for one, I didn't think there was a lot of complaining out of DeMarcus. For two, the way that they constantly responded on the road against the world champs. This is the kind of stuff that tanking cannot provide for your team. And I don't even understand people's idea of tanking at this point in time. I mean, it's some kind of fairy tale with the way that the Sixers <laughs> thing has gone, you know, that magic things just happen when you tank and it's like, well, let's get rid of the vets and let's play the young guys. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that might improve you guys. So that's not really a great tanking method. What are you guys really asking to do here? But the, the, the learning how to win DeMarcus cousins is, is recognized by most players in the league as the best big man in the game. And I think those that are in Sacramento know he hasn't really learned how to win and, yeah. and how to win close games. Well, he just went and did that. So how good is this guy going to be when he knows how to win close games? And how good will the Kings be when they know how to win some 25-some-odd winnable games that they have lost due to some combination of lack of execution, bad rotations, whatever you want to call it, even the referees getting involved? When they start winning and they get a taste of that, I just think you cannot replace that. So the chase for eight, while, yeah, they could just go lose four games to the Warriors – and it's, you know, it's kind of become this ugly thing that the Kings fans don't want. To me, it's it's absolutely vital for them. And and getting that win last night might have done more for DeMarcus Cousins than many years of past development. I, I agree 100%. The other thing I'm going to point out is that the Kings have put themselves in a situation where there's now five teams vying for one spot. And it could always happen that one more spot will open up. You just never know if if someone like Memphis or someone else will start to falter and and stumble back to the pack. But it's for me, it's a really cool situation in that you basically have like a 38-game playoff where teams are going to be running at each other the entire time. Not a playoff, a 38-game build-up towards the playoffs because you're now in a pack. And so there's going to be someone who goes out and, and takes the lead and, and knocks down the win for other people. But then there's going to be someone who comes from the back and, and who makes their move around. And, and it'll be, it, it, I don't know, have you ever seen that YouTube video where there's a, a cyclist and he gets passed by a whole group of people and then he he's pedaling and he does a Superman? He like climbs up and lays flat on, like lays horizontal to the ground on his bike seat and head down and he like the dynamics aerodynamics of it hurls him past everybody and he just like whoosh he's all of a sudden he's 50 yards ahead of everyone and everyone's like what in the world just happened someone is gonna do that and i don't want to get anyone's hopes up because it's sacramento kings we just have no idea what's gonna happen uh at any point but if you look at the schedule from february 1st until march 5th the Kings don't leave the Pacific uh, standard time zone. They don't leave the the time zone. They play every, they have 11 games at home, two games on the road. One of those is in Golden State. One of those is against the Lakers in LA. That's it. They have winnable games all over the place. And if there's a team that can somehow get through the muck and make a run, it might actually be the Kings again now, I'm not going to get anyone's hopes up because this could spin out at any time. They won four in a row, and then they lost 10 of their next 12. I mean, everyone thought they had got right, and then they go 1-7 and seven on a homestand. So there's no rhyme or reason. But 
I'm going to go back to what we talked about on on the pregame show in case anyone watched the pregame show with the Cavs. Mark Cuban was asked about tanking. He said, like, first of all, if you're the worst team in the league, you have a 75% chance of not ending up with the first overall pick if you're the worst team in the league. So why would you ever let losing, a losing, a culture of losing, a, a tanking, why would you ever let that in your house? Because once you let it in your house and you say it's okay to take games off, it's okay to do these things, it's okay to not play a starter in the fourth quarter, once you do that, now you're setting a new standard, and that standard is really low. And I thought like the interview was spectacular. I think it was from late December. He said something like, so many teams in the league are four years away from being four years away. <laughs> that's a good one. And I thought it was brilliant because that's so true. And well, look while... at Philly. Philly's four years away from being, well. Philly was in the playoffs like five, six years ago. No joke. The, the thing about Philly <laughs> is is they are really like one injury away from it being all, for it all falling apart. Joel Embiid is fun and he's going to be the future and, and all that. And Ben Simmons, you know, we don't know what his ceiling is, but it's a, I just, there's no guarantees and that culture is not something that you want in the room. And, and that's, it's probably a good segue to the article. Yeah. 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 The, Cause we do need the to interesting that. thing is the timing of the article. I, I think that, Recently, since the dust up with the B, and I, I think that there is something to these veteran pickups where guys like Garrett Temple, Anthony Tolliver, and it, even Matt Barnes will throw Barnes in there. Even Matt and Ty Lawson. I'm going to tell you, and Ty, Ty Lawson, Lawson yeah, has a much Lawson. bigger impact in the locker room than people think. Well, let's talk about Malachi Richardson as well. I mean, this is a rookie that's come in and been a pretty good rookie. And and I just look up and down this roster, Costa Kufas. I'm just going to like small sample size, but go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. But it just seems like this roster is full of, of good energy and, and, and good people. And watching DeMarcus kind of navigate things where it, if this happened in a previous year, you'd be like, oh, this is just throw, you know, burn it all and, you know, and run as far away from it as you can. This is a total dumpster fire and – they survive and they, they, in these tight games, you know, they, they don't go away. Or if they, if they go down by 20, they don't go away. They compete. And, and cousins in his responses. Yeah. He's had his moments. He's got his technicals. And we've, we've talked about how some of them are pretty lame technical fouls, but like he has improved. And I, I watched the other game or, or watch a game the other night. I think it was Detroit where it was like, man, he's almost like, scaring me because he's not complaining in the way that he should be complaining like what's wrong are you not feeling well you know is something going on at home like can we help you and he's um so this team i i feel like they're kind of turning a corner and it's a lot having to do with you don't have george carl there you don't have that drama which was central to the piece by kevin arnovitz mm-hmm. and a lot of what happens with the kings i feel like it's it's still the same mistakes from the past that get relitigated in the press or get just the wounds from those mistakes are still active. So the question of, well, what's up with DeMarcus Cousins? Is he the cancer or is the, is the Kings the cancer or what is going on here? And, and why is this never getting better? I almost feel like they're, they're low key getting better and, and it's not quite evident, but the minute that they optimize this team and start winning some games, which again is the obvious thing you win, everybody gets off your back. But I feel like that reality doesn't quite match what's going on in the locker room. It might be chaotic in the front office. It might be chaotic amongst the owners, but it's it, at least inside that locker room, I feel like they're doing better than anybody else thinks. Yeah. Okay. So let me get to, first of all, Kevin Arnovitz was in town for a while. He he spent, I think it was four or five days with the team. He even traveled and and met them in Utah and had more conversations then. It's a very, in case you guys haven't read it, it is a very, very well-written outside look at the Kings. A lot of people talked to Kevin. Uh, we had him on the podcast when he was here, if you remember back. Kevin is, uh, I've known Kevin a long time. He's an incredible writer, a very, very good guy. I just think overall, 
uh, the piece was so all-encompassing and, and kind of painted a picture that, look, look, there are major, major disturbances in every aspect of this franchise that have been going on for you know half a decade uh, or more that have really caused a lot of things to go wrong. And DeMarcus Cousins is just a small piece of that. He is a, well, I mean, he's a huge piece, but there's a basketball side, there's a business side, there's the coaching side. I'm going to point this out. The one thing that I think really is different this year, it's that we all know that Dave Yeager is going to be here for three or four years. And there is no more, I'm going to run this guy out of town. The Kings don't can't keep shelling out $3 million a year for coaches that no longer coach here. I mean, they still owe money to people. Lots of money. Lots of money to <laughs> lots of people. And those people are still getting paychecks from the Kings. They can't keep firing coaches. And I think Cousins right. understanding that he's not going anywhere. We're going to work this thing out, and we're going to try to work together. Jaeger is saying, we're going to work this thing out. Let me play to his strengths. Let me figure out ways to make it work for him. Let me twist and turn my my system over the first 45 games of the season until it might look like something. I think that might be the one single greatest thing that's happened here because if Michael Malone was going to be here for five years, I think we would have seen a huge upward path where you have guys working together. But Tyrone Corbin was a short-term fix. Keith Smart was a short-term fix. Even Paul Westfall was a short-term fix. George Carl was the shortest of short-term fixes. You brought in like a 64-year-old <laughs> two-time <laughs> cancer survivor to be – I mean, you knew that there wasn't like a 10-year plan with George Carl. And and that's not – I'm not trying to attack George Carl. I'm just telling you. there. No one anywhere thought George Carl was going to be the coach of the Kings for five years. So when you really look at – what Dave Yeager is, he's a young, stabilizing factor. Whether you love him or you hate him, he's going to be here. And uh, from everything I know, DeMarcus is going to be here. And for that matter, it, it'll come out later today uh, on Thursday. But DeMarcus Cousins will be an all-star for the third consecutive time. He is he is going to make the all-star team. And he's also going to play in the Taco Bell, uh, what is it, uh, the skills challenge. Um, both of those I, I do know. So there you go. You have that on the podcast, but, uh, but just sort of, so people know, I think that that is the biggest stabilizing thing. And I think you need to read the Kevin Arnovitz piece to kind of capture some of the nuance. And you also need to realize that there's a reason why people in Sacramento haven't written that. And ha- I mean, Kevin spent like four weeks mulling that piece over while the rest of us are working on a million different things every single day is just a different style, a different type of journalism that he was able to do there. And it's great work. I, I love Kevin, nothing but respect for him. Yeah. It's a journalistic heavy lift. If I've ever seen one, it was really well done. And there's, it's funny. I got some text as, as that piece was hitting the net and it's, there's still more that that's not, Oh, there's a lot more there. Yeah. And so, I mean, he like, was fair. He was very the, fair. He was fair. I mean, some omissions that I I don't even know if they're really central to his story. I mean, we all know Pete D'Alessandro was the driving force to bring George Carl in. So I, I would have liked to see that mentioned in there. He did uh, mention I, that management told DeMarcus multiple times they weren't going to hire George Carl. That was Pete as well. And then he went and hired George Carl. Right. And all that stuff. I just think what it did, though, is it really got behind the scenes of some of the frustrations and and kind of I don't know it added some facts to to stuff that we've talked about on this podcast and and in general and um it'll be interesting to see how people react inside inside the walls because this doesn't put the franchise in a good light um you know you reap what you sow and so if you can um you know take stuff like that and learn from it and again one of the big reasons why making the playoffs is going to be such a big deal for this franchise is just to erase the cleanse the palate, if you will, the first thing that anybody that's not paying attention every day to King stuff that they're going to say is, Oh, well they made the playoffs. And that alone will be the first thing that people say instead of LOL Kings. And that just little, that little thing will help in the free agency market significantly. And then they got to just learn from past mistakes. Again, this stuff, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, cousins at target and then going over to, you know, sleep train and, you know, all of the Michael Malone stuff. We said it at the time, it would be one of the worst decisions that was ever made yep. in the history of 
pro sports practically, and they're still paying for it in terms of bad press. But a lot of good stuff in there, and um, you know, it's it's just always an interesting day with the Sacramento Kings. That's right, always an interesting day, never a dull moment in Sacramento. All right, I want to give a special shout out to my man Doug Christie for coming on the podcast, uh, doing the Doug and James car cast. Uh, we'll try to do one of those with Jerry Reynolds as well. Just try to mix it up a little bit because Jerry and I ride together uh, too. But, you know, some good stuff in there. Uh, he's a good man. Um, I don't know. Outside of that, the Kings have uh, Indiana followed by uh, oh, followed by Charlotte um, on Friday, Saturday. Back-to-back should be a good showdown. It's a good challenge to see where this team is because both of those teams are decent teams and they're also both beatable. Just depends on what team shows up for the Sacramento Kings, how many minutes of the 48 day play uh we'll have to go from there aaron do you have any quick final thoughts four games and five nights that's gonna be a little bit rough indiana winnable charlotte winnable philly winnable houston probably winnable um but that's a lot to ask four games in five nights that's right uh four games five nights is brutal i don't see any way that they win that houston game they come back to sacramento they fly home and have another set of back-to-backs friday saturday they better they better run at the slowest pace in the history of mankind against that Houston team because yeah. they're gonna get run out of the gym otherwise. That's right. All right, so that's gonna do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. We will see you soon. Every day, the city streets stand between you and your customers, and your business's reputation is on the line. To help protect it, there's the Michelin Agilis Cross Climate Commercial Truck Tire. It's Michelin's most durable, heavy-duty, light commercial truck tire ever, designed with professional-grade construction that resists curb scrubbing in the city. To outfit your fleet with tires you can trust, visit business.michelinman.com slash professional services.